mean, Patrick, I'm handing it off to you. I hardly have any voice. Um, so I, I hear you're a little uh, sick. What's going on? <laughs> this is terrible. I, I might, I don't know, maybe I need to go get a COVID test. I probably do. Dan has taken two of them. We've been sick on and off for like 10 days. Um, both tests came back negative, but now I'm hearing like maybe Omicron doesn't react to these like tests that you buy at CVS. I don't know. We've now I've lost well, my voice. Well, so, so with all the Omicron and all the, all the stuff going on, we figured, you know what, we 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 better step back and get an expert, yes. Sarah, in today because uh, we're, you know we're starting to get out of our depth, right? Uh, so we do have a guest, a special guest, Bethany Mandel. Um, I'll do a little intro for Bethany. Bethany is a home. She's a homeschool mother of five children. Lives in Montgomery County, which obviously Sarah we love to talk about. Yes, she's the editor of a new children's book. Excuse me, new children's book series called Heroes of Liberty, and a contributing writer for Bethany. How do you pronounce that? Deseret. Yeah, Deseret News. Deseret News. She's also a regular contributor to the New York Post and the Spectator. Over the course of the pandemic, she's also been very outspoken advocate for children and national and rational policies, also potentially national policies. Bethy and I know each other for what about five years, maybe now. Give yeah, I take. think so. We connected. I was following Bethany on Twitter and really, really liked uh, what she had to say and how she engaged. And very, very smart, much smarter than us. Um, former teacher in Cambodia, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That was about 10 years ago. I was a fifth grade teacher for impoverished children in rural Cambodia. So what, Why not? What, made, what made you do that? So I had graduated college and moved down to the area to sort of work in conservative politics, but I had no connections and no idea how to get started. And, um, and, you know, I got to eat. So I got like sort of a random job working in the sort of development department of a, of a synagogue, like totally boring and apolitical and just the way that sort of the elections were running i was like there's no jobs here for someone who has no connections and really no experience and no expertise and so i said you know i'm young i'm single i'm never gonna be able to do this again why don't i just like join the peace corps and so i i went through the whole process of joining the peace corps and um they gave me my dream assignment which was cambodia and so i started reading like Cambodian newspapers, like the English papers. And I heard about a school that sounded really interesting and really cool. And I would only have a one-year commitment instead of a two-year commitment. And I would make actual money as opposed to like peanuts with the Peace Corps. And so I applied to the school and they accepted me. And so I I turned down my um, my position with the Peace Corps before I ever started. And oh, wow. so I, I lived in rural Cambodia for a year and um, I had 25 incredible students and um, I learned a lot. I really grew a lot. And uh, I actually have one of my students. So a lot of my students, all, almost all of my students ended up going to higher education of some kind. Several were, of them. Were they English speaking students or were they? Yeah. Yeah. They were... I taught in English. I, oh, I don't okay. speak Khmer. <laughs> and so, um, and so uh, all of my students, most of my students went to higher education. So some, some went to Abu Dhabi, a lot went to Thailand. One of them came no, now three are here in America. One of them already graduated. She went to Elon. She's back in Cambodia now. Um, one of them is in Wisconsin, I want to say. Um, and then I have another student who is, she's doing like a study abroad thing with her university. And she is somewhere in like Tennessee, I want to say. That's great. Um, but yeah, but she's visiting us uh, the week, I think, I think the 
week between Christmas and New Year's or like maybe New Year's. I don't remember, but I'm still in contact with almost all of my students. That's awesome. I wish I had something like that, Sarah. Do you? (laughs) I think you're in contact (laughs) with some of your former employees, right? Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm saying like there's something like really positive like that. Bigger that that you were like, Patrick, there's still time. I mean, there is. Yeah. It's a lot of time. You could become like, you know, when you retire. Yeah, exactly. Right. I was thinking even in Montgomery County, would they hire him? Well, they need the help in the schools. So, yeah, there you go. So, we're actually going to spend some time today uh, discussing Montgomery County schools and masking. And so, let's just how how is the pandemic? Almost two years now. With obviously, did you have did you have a child during the pandemic, or you had five before? Yeah. yeah. So, my oldest is eight, and my youngest is. Uh, five months old. So he was born in this like really sweet spot over the summer where things had sort of relaxed. And we actually had his bris um, like at a, at a synagogue where nobody was wearing masks. It felt very normal. Um, I, I actually had a home birth and I would have had a home birth regardless, but uh, it was really, really nice to have a home birth because um, it was pretty much unaffected by COVID. I've, I've had a home birth in the past. And so I have, you know, something to compare it to. And the only difference between um, the birth of my fourth child and my fifth child was that the midwife was wearing a mask and that was her choice. Um, I like, didn't care. So of the midwives, one of them was wearing a mask and one of them wasn't, and not, none of nobody on our side were wearing masks. Um, Have but you had yeah, COVID? we haven't that we know of, um, yeah. my, my husband and I both got the two shots. We haven't, um, we haven't gotten boosted and our kids aren't, aren't vaccinated and that's probably where we're going to stay. Um, but I got, is, that, is um, that based on just personal belief science? Is that based on, you want to see more data? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see the data instead of be the data. Um, I, I watched both FDA uh, panel discussions about passing the boosters, uh, which they voted against 16 to two. They decided that they weren't going to recommend it for the general population. And so trusting their guidance, <laughs> um, there was an eight hour conversation. If anyone is, you know, feeling really interested in diving in, but, Bethany, um, and then I watched why, why, why did they recommend? They just didn't feel like it worked. They, they said that, you know, we don't, we don't really see that the, we don't, we haven't really seen enough data and the, the cost, the cost benefit analysis for people who are immunocompromised or people who are over 65 is pretty clear. They do need that boost, but for people of our age bracket who are otherwise healthy, they said, you know, we'd, we'd like to see the data and, um, and we're just, we're not convinced that, um, that the, that the shot is necessary or incredibly beneficial. Um, so I, I'm, I'm of that mind as well. Um, and I've just, you know, anecdotally heard people have like not great reactions to the shots and, and whatever. And so I, I feel like me personally, I'm protected against serious illness and death and hospitalization. And that's why I got the shot in the first place. So I I don't care if I get COVID. So, so it's interesting you say that. So I had this conversation yesterday with someone and I said, you know, and keeping in mind, you know, and I only say this just for reference. So early on in COVID, April of 2020, my dad, who was 74, passed from COVID. And obviously that was way early, you know, no treatments, no, no real understanding what was going on. You know, he was stubborn, you know, refused to go to the hospital and, and, and anyway. But, you know, I'm 54. I made the decision to get the booster because, you know, I'm probably at that age, you know, you, obviously younger than 60, 65, but older than 50. So I figured, okay, let, let, let's just do this. 
but I don't fear COVID, fear COVID at all right now. And I, I actually tweeted out this morning, um, I, and being in the media, it's, it's hard for me to say this because we contribute to this both on Fox 5 and certainly, you know, local media and, and of course, national media. Um, I don't understand the panic right now. I, I, I don't, I don't, I truly am having a very difficult time being almost two years into this with the vaccination rates we have, with the low hospitalization death rates for vaccinated folks. I, I mean, can you explain it to me? Like, like, yeah, that's a good what, question. Like, where do you think this is coming from? I mean, I think a lot of it is like people have sort of built it up in their minds as like certain death. And so you can see sort of the data on like when you ask people, what are your chances of X, Y, Z? Um, death, hospitalization, whatever, when you get COVID, and they're they're astronomically high. People think that your your chances of death are like one in four. Your chances of hospitalization are like one in two. Um, I'm making those numbers up, but they're they're not like they're not totally out of the realm of reality. And so people people have a hard time analyzing risk. And so one of my favorite sort of things is to see kids outside riding their bikes wearing a mask but without a helmet, and people are just completely <laughs> unable to analyze risk. No. And so, you know, the, the chances, I mean, this is part of why we didn't get our kids vaccinated. They are protected against serious illness and death by virtue of their age. And but, by but who created that risk? Was that the CDC? Was that the former administration and this administration? Was it like there has to be, uh, you know, there has to be some blame given to the way the messaging and the protocols and the restrictions were, were rolled out. I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, so who has the blame for the restrictions is your question? Well, or and, and creating the fear and creating the misperception yeah. of statistics and data. So it's the media. <laughs> it's 100% <laughs> the media. I blame I, I, Well, I mean, too, Beth, Bethany, don't you feel like, I mean, people don't read. I feel like at this point they've given up, you know, the, the messaging, unfortunately, and I, I, I do, I, I give some, you know, uh, I guess, empathy to the CDC and who, I mean, They've never had anything like this. They don't know. New things are unfolding, obviously, very, you know, so there is this level of they don't know, they're figuring it out as they go. But I think the messaging has been so bad now that, you know, people hear they, their neighbor passed away from it, then the fear sets in. I mean, I th- to me, I think it's a lot of different things, but you, Bethany, you certainly are more of an expert. I mean, I, I disagree. I mean, Anecdotally, I don't know a lot. So we personally know people who have died of COVID, but anecdotally in the world, I don't think that many people know people who have died of COVID. I think it's this like amorphous, scary thing out in the in the world. But the people that we know that have died of COVID, um, there was always like a, yeah, I could see that. Like three of them were 97-ish. Mm-hmm. Well, it was like 92, 95, and 97 those were three of the deaths that we know of from COVID. Um, and then one of them, um, sh- like the people that I know that have spent some serious, serious time in the ICU and come very close to death. I know two of those and both of them had uh, pre-existing conditions and, and a lot of stuff going on. And so you can sort of see how they would, um, they would really be in trouble if they got any serious respiratory illness, um, COVID or not. Um, and so, and then the rest of them, like to just be frank, were morbidly obese. Yeah. Um, 
And now we're sort of seeing the reasons why. I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of like obviously health implications for obesity, but also it seems the the new sort of studies are that COVID attacks fat cells, and so when you have more of them, that's a really big problem. Um, so I, I I but I think I think the the blame for the hysteria is really on on the media. They have um have sort of a, a click incentive, and so the more sensational they are, the more clicks they get, the more watches they get. And especially now that Trump is out of office, they need something else to drive that traffic and drive those eyes. And so it's COVID, it's COVID hysteria. And I think a lot of people, um, I mean, I think that COVID and Trump, but outside of Trump, I think that COVID has exposed a lot of things that were already under the surface. And I think that we're seeing a lot of, um, quite frankly, like mental health issues that, um, that people probably should be addressing, um, and clearly, I think they're going to be exacerbated, especially, unfortunately, in children who, yeah. you know, I was very vocal early on, you know, I, I understood to a certain degree closing schools April, May and June mm-hmm. of 20, because, you know, I think everything was new. We didn't fully understand yeah. what we were dealing with. But to come back over the summer in September of 20 and not have a plan for some sort of hybrid learning in person, mm-hmm. hybrid learning, I think it's going to go down. And I don't, I'm not exaggerating this. I think it's going to go down in one of the biggest mistakes in history in way we have dealt with children and what we yes. did to the, especially in this region. What I find insane about this region you're talking about supposedly some of the brightest people, mm-hmm. officials, yep. certainly one of the most affluent regions in the country, um, very good schools, a lot of smart folks. And I think we completely mishandled it. We completely bungled it. And you know, my niece and nephew were living in Connecticut, which, by the way, is also a very blue liberal state. Uh, and... They came back in September of 20 with a three in person. They played sports. They figured it out. And I think all this, all this region wanted to do is to vilify the red states because they were still in this, this is Trump's fault mentality. So I know that was, that's my take. I mean, do you, do you see it differently? Do you, do you think there's more to it? Um, I mean, I think for why this region sort of went nuts, I think that there's a couple things. I think that um, a lot of the decision makers are in the sort of pajama class, the people who could work from home remotely. And um, and so they didn't necessarily see uh, the ramifications of what they were doing on on kids who couldn't afford to have broadband access. They The parents couldn't afford to take, you know, to set up the kitchen table as like a zoom school and supervise them. Um, and, and they also just, they don't, um, they don't have the life experience to know that taking school away from children is more than just an education. It's, it's a, it's a meal. Sometimes it's two meals Mm. and it's a, it's a mandated reporter who's seeing potential abuse and who will report it. Um, and, uh, it's giving kids who don't have anyone to talk to at home, giving someone, giving them people to talk to and people with whom to build relationships with. And so I think that there's a lot of privilege that happened that sort of blinded people to the, the underlying issues with closing schools, that it's not just about an education. Um, But I think that it also, 
became extremely politicized under Trump and being um, being virtuous meant being locked down and never leaving your home. And so these were people who are highly political and that's why they often live here. It's because they work in politics. And so they virtue signaled their political bona fides by staying, um, staying in their homes. And the majority of the people that live here are blue state voters. And so that's what they did. And, and what's really upsetting to me about all of this dynamic is I used to be liberal. And, um, and one of the things that, you know, we're told over and over about sort of progressives, liberal, whatever you want to call them is that they have sort of, they have ownership on the empathy idea. They are the empathetic ones. They are the, they are the, the spokespeople for the downtrodden, for the lower, lower earning folks, whatever, immigrants, everything, everything that they did over the last almost two years was in absolute contrast to everything they claim to believe in. They made inequality worse. They made life so much more difficult for everyone who they claim to um, to fight for. And they they completely lacked empathy for everyone that they were impacting and have and are still denying that they've done it and that school closures are detriment and that uh, the children are being hurt. And um, and it's the same on masking. They they're they're the party of science. You know, I drive around Montgomery County and count how many signs you see on the front lawn saying in this house, we believe in science. But they ignore all of the science that we have, first of all, on the on the effectiveness of masks, especially cloth masks. Um, CNN contributor Dr. Leanna Wen went on CNN yesterday and called cloth masks a uh, facial decoration, which yeah. anyone with yeah, a brain she, could somebody, have told you that I, two I, years ago. Yeah, I think she's so maybe it wasn't her, but I did hear someone yesterday call po- political theater. At, 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 yeah. So uh, l- let me ask you this question. Um, and maybe uh, yeah, I misstated this or not misstated, misread it. Uh, when Montgomery County in particular went back um full school five days a week uh this past september uh obviously they you know had to wear a mask uh in school but at that time under 18 i believe there was no vaccinations for so i said explain this to me (laughs) during the height of covid they couldn't go to school in masks but now they can go to school in masks no change in vaccination status i think that's when they and maybe they would never admit it, but I think they realize they have to get kids back in school. Um, and I think they realize that, you know, this, this turned out to be just, I mean, the fact that Prince George's County, you know, closed down for what, three weeks now. Um, close to four, I think actually close to four. Uh, I, I just, I don't understand the logic. And, uh, if you believe mass work, which, you know, the data says is very questionable, uh, you know, you have vaccinations, you know, and, and additionally, if you really look at the data, if you look at schools in the South, kids are not wearing masks. They're not getting sick at any higher rate at all to compare it to kids around here who've been masked now for as long as they have. So, um, you know, I mean, I know you don't live in Florida or Texas, but do you think they mishandled this? Do you think they knew all along that this was the right thing? Do you think early on they were being political and it turned out that they handled it correctly? I mean, do you have any thoughts on some of these other states? I mean, a lot of uh, the the majority of children in America, according to the percentages, are not wearing masks. And we're 
I mean, you know what would happen if there was a single healthy child in Florida who died. We would hear about it. We would yes. know that kid's name. He would be on the cover of the New York Times. Same with Arizona, same with Texas. We have not heard those stories. We've not heard of mass death. We've not heard of mass infection. Instead, we're seeing New York and New Jersey and this area, I mean, the whole eastern seaboard, just completely inundated with COVID. Um, and the there was a great piece by uh, David Zweig in um in the Atlantic last week, which I thought was a total blockbuster expose. And it just landed with a thud outside of sort of the echo chamber of the conservative right. And he said that the CDC's sort of metrics for for how they recommended masks in schools was basically invented out of whole cloth. Yeah. I mean, cloth is like sort of a, a pun. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's been no there's been no sort of awakening outside of people who are really highly engaged on the right um, that these mask mandates in schools are not keeping their kids in school. I, I have a I have a family member who was like, you know, I know you hit against the masks and, and everything, but I really need my kid in school. And I'm like, they're not mutually exclusive. Your kid doesn't have to wear a mask to go to school. Yeah. The fact that you think that it's necessary is is honestly brainwashing on the part of yeah, a lot of different such people. A fear. To your point, I see kids down the block out on the playground with masks, walking home from school with masks, on bikes with masks. I, I don't understand it. I just I just don't. Uh, you you get a lot of controversial response, I guess, uh, on Twitter with some of your 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 your, your positions or, or opinions and so forth. Uh, in particular, because you do homeschool five children. Uh, so the mask mandates in schools really hasn't impacted you per se. I know you mentioned childcare and some other factors. Yes, it has. Um, what, do, what do you say to those folks who say you really shouldn't? Like me, I don't have any children in school, so it's easy right. for me to, to, to criticize. Uh, what, what do you say to those folks? So, I mean, my, my kids are, I mean, we're not unimpacted by all the mask stuff. So at summer camp, they had to mask. And that's because the school, this, this, all the policies that control the schools also control all the summer camps and all of the activities that they do, they also have to mask. And it, it's, I mean, I, I can, I talk to them and I, I hear my kids' positions and, and, you know, they take a pottery class with a couple other kids and they don't know any of those other kids' names. And they, they have formed absolutely no relationships with them in the pottery class, even though they see them once a week for an hour and a half, they can't hear each other enunciate enough to like really have a conversation because they're seated they're seated kind of far away they're social distanced and they're wearing masks and so the distance plus the muffling of the masks they don't even bother trying to have a conversation because they can't understand each other anyway and so i see that within my kids my my other my oldest daughter takes um dance classes and she comes out and the second she comes out she rips her mask off she's like it's suffocating trying to dance in a mask and so I hear these things and, and I'm, I'm glad that we're fortunate enough not to have, not to go to school, but these kids that are sort of growing up with, um, with all of the, the emotional and academic sort of hindrances that masking policies are, are 
perpetrating against children, these are going to be my kids' peers. These are going to be the people that my kids marry. And I mean, I look at my son who's in first grade now and no, no kid his age in, in school here has had a normal experience. And we're seeing it with their ability to read, their vocabulary, everything. And I kind of look at him and I'm like, you're a little unicorn in Montgomery County. There's not many kids your age who unless their parents are highly involved in and sort of homeschooling them in a way separately, um, who are as well read as you are and and able to do math and, and reading and everything because all of these COVID policies are taking a toll on the academic. And it was already hard enough with 25 kids in a classroom. But then when you throw masks on everyone, it adds a whole other dimension of difficulty. Do you think uh, in the Montgomery County and the Prince George's counties of the world, these kids will be in masks until when? I don't know. Like- I don't know. I mean, the problem is the state can drop them, but the, the municipalities can keep them on. And I think the only thing that's going to maybe give them pause on all of these policies, it, and I, just not just masks, but every how they're handling it is the kindergarten enrollments. And kindergarten enrollment has really, really tanked. And it's because people don't want to send their kindergarten or, and have their first experience in a mask. And also just, you know, I, I've taught two and a half kids how to read. One of my kids is like on, in the process. I, I don't know how you teach reading without being able to see faces and see lips yeah. because the b sounds different than duh. And I do that with my, with my kids when I'm teaching them, I, buh, ball, buh. And you, you can't, you can't teach that concept without them seeing your lips. Um, so I, I think a lot of parents who have the, have the capability to pull their kids out of these schools are going to do so, especially if a lot of the private schools start taking the masks off and the public schools don't. Well, why don't the There's county be even more than school Exodus. board, what, why, why don't, why doesn't the county school board leaders and, and, and the superintendents and the county, why don't they realize this? Do, do they know. not care? Do they? No, I don't think they care. And I think, I think there's, I think the, the saddest part about it is the parents. A lot of parents uh, want this because they think it keeps their kids safer. And, um, and that's, that's the brainwashing and the messaging that's happened from the top and um, the sort of the rush to get kids vaccinated, to keep them safe. Like your, your kid was safe. It was funny. I, I think it was like last year I said publicly, I don't care if my kids get COVID. Like I'm weighing. Oh, I remember them. that. Yeah. Yeah. And people threatened to call CPS on me. And maybe they did. I don't know. I never got yeah, a visit because well, CPS isn't yeah. isn't doing in-home visits. So maybe they they didn't come. But um, I weighed crazy. like, you know, these are the costs of isolating them socially. And these this is the cost of COVID. And I'm going to choose COVID any day of the week yeah. based on the data. Bethany, what are you seeing? Okay, so states like Texas, states like Florida, where the kids don't wear masks. So going with this at, at how detrimental masks are, are there current studies underway? Are there are there colleagues of yours that are looking at? I would take. I would think if if masks are so detrimental, right? The kids in Texas, the kids in Florida, must be learning at a greater rate, must be happier, less anxious, right? Than mm-hmm. kids in states with that are masks. Is anyone doing any research now that we're nearly two years in? So I haven't seen anything. The research that I've seen um, it relates to babies born during the pandemic, and um, and the sort of the toddlers now and th- that that research is is pretty striking there's i think it's 22 iq points lower babies born born during the pandemic um but it's hard to sort of 
treat all of these things in isolation. And so uh, maternal stress levels definitely have an impact on, um, on, on babies, especially boys for, for some reason, they're like more porous in the womb and, and absorb more of your sort of stress. Um, but I think there's a great deal to be said for the masking in, um, in childcare settings in, in daycares and, and in preschools, um, when, when babies can't see faces there, there's a famous study from 2009 where they, they studied a mom who was sort of making faces at her child. And then she stopped making faces and they sort of saw the impact of, you know, making exaggerated faces sure. and then, and then sort of being very stone faced. Um, and the American Academy of Pediatrics used to have on their website, um, one of their first visits, they like sort of hand you a pamphlet or like a, a PDF paper. And they're like, this is how you take care of your paper, baby. And like one little paper. Um, <laughs> and one of them was make exaggerated faces at your baby, engage yeah. with your baby. They, they need that um, developmentally. And now babies in daycare aren't getting that. And I think that that is going to have, I mean, it's going to be a fascinating uh, book one day about all of the impact on babies and toddlers who were in daycare settings. I mean, it'll be a whole PhD yeah, theory, I'm sure. thesis like, um, you, because it's going to impact you, them forever. Are you, you anti-mask <laughs> in any setting? What about like planes? No. And, and I am on planes. Yeah. I am on planes for, so I wrote a piece for Deseret News um, about two weeks ago and sort of the masking policies on planes keeps a lot of people off planes, my, myself included, because I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old who can't wear a mask for six hours. Um, and it also keeps uh, people off planes who have disabilities um, that are visible and invisible. Um, and so I'm, I, I, the, the airplane CEOs, I think it was Southwest and American Airlines, yeah. um, they testified in front of Congress and they said, we have the filters that it's just not necessary to, to be wearing masks on planes and it's causing a lot of conflict. And it's it's taking money off the table because, I mean, there's families like mine that can't fly and there's a lot of families like mine that can't fly. Um, but I'm not anti-mask in theory, but I think that we have been completely unserious about our messaging regarding masking. And so um, I'm in favor of um, wearing ND N95s that are fitted and actually effective in nursing homes. I yeah. think that that's a no-brainer. Sure. Um, the at-risk populations, we should have actual I mean, I would masks. think hospitalization and healthcare facilities. Um, you know, yeah. that, that's, but this, this theater that you walk into a restaurant with a cloth mask on that barely fits. And the minute you get over to the bar or, or, or your table, you're taking it off, you're getting drinks, you're drinking, yeah. you're laughing. Like it's, it, it's actually, sense. it's actually comical to me that this is even policy that, that, mm -hmm. that the people we vote in could actually think this makes sense. Like, I mean, Mayor Bowser, you know, she, I call her the roller coaster mayor for me. You know, I give her credit one day and then the next day she completely bungles a decision. She made a decision a month ago and said, mass mandates are over. We're only going to look at severity metrics, hospitalizations, deaths. Yep. One month later, because of political pressure from either the council or outside influences being in D.C., Back back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I think it is, is the Chris, she dropped it so that the, everybody, all the Democrats could have their Christmas parties in D.C. And now they've had their Christmas parties and now they don't need the mask. They can put the mask mandate back. Interesting. Up. Interesting. Um, but I, um, I, I what, what's frustrating to me and, and what sort of gave me hope when she dropped the mask mandate was I think she was looking at the polling. I think that a, a lot of people, yep. while the, 
they will wear masks. They're not happy about it. This is not the way of life that we all want. Um, and it's just, it's really frustrating to me that, um, that we, you know, two years almost into this pandemic, a year and nine months, we're not having a conversation about the best practices for masking and like putting a two-year-old in a cloth mask does absolutely nothing. Eating better. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh yeah. That's fascinating. uh, Post coat, you know, treatments, pills, and a lot yeah. of those are languishing in front of the FDA and they're not, they're not, there's no urgency. It's amazing to me that we're still talking about, and listen, I, you know, I got vax, I got boosted, you know, we're still talking about this as we're going to vaccinate our way out of it. I, I've been extremely vocal about, and going back six, seven months, case counts, the fact that we're using case counts, cases per 100,000 people as some sort of critical metric. metric yeah. It's just absurd. I saw mm-hmm. the CDC actually published yesterday, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was it was like 0.5 deaths per 100,000 for vaccinated individuals. Mm-hmm. 0.5. Yeah, it's so low. Yeah. yeah. It's so low. And yet you would think that, you know, you would think based on what's going on right now, people waiting in line for three hours for testing, that somehow people are just dropping on the street. Like li- so like that. What's what's giving me hope is we're going to, I mean, everybody's getting COVID right now. Yeah. Everybody. And, um, and it's by all reports and all data that we have, it's extraordinarily mild. Um, it just ran through. I have a f- friend who she has seven children and she's pregnant and um, no one in her household are vaccinated. And it ran through her house like wildfire. Every single person got it. And she said, um, had they not lost taste and smell, she never would have even considered getting tested because she never would have thought it was COVID. Um, I think that um, I think that everybody is going to get it now. And I think I'm hoping that when we don't see hospitals overrun, um, there's going to be sort of a change of opinion that, um, I mean, the hospitals are struggling. Like there's, I mean, one of my, one of my kids had this like sort of freak weird infection in her face uh, like a month ago. And uh, her, her and my husband waited for six hours at children's national and children's national ran out of beds. Like this is like, nobody's talking about this. Um, Children's ran out of beds and I actually read about it on Fox five. So thank you for putting that on your website. Wait, Why? Um, Why? COVID? Because of RSV. Oh, no, RSV. because of RSV. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so, um, and I, I was talking to my pediatrician because we have a five month old and I was talking to my pediatrician. I said, I'm really, really nervous about RSV this year. And she said, yeah, I sent a baby today and um, to be admitted. And she called the ER several hours later to check on the, ba- the baby. And the ER attending said, I had um, seven patients here that were worthy of hospitalization and I had six beds and your baby was the most stable and had the parents who were the most responsible of the seven. So I know that that baby will be monitored very carefully. And I couldn't say that for the other six babies. Um, so I, I had to make a judgment call of who to send home. And unfortunately it was your patient. And mm-hmm. so um, keep in close contact with that family and just make sure that everything is um, that they're getting the the proper and, supportive and care that they packed, need. And beds are crowded because people are, are you know, getting COVID or they no RSV. Oh, just oh, it's a, oh. Yeah, RSV. Yeah, it's it's all RSV. The all of Children's National is filled with RSV right now. Um, and so uh, they might be testing positive also with COVID because um, you can have two viruses at the same time. But Children's National is in not a great position because of RSV. Got it. 
Got it. Bethany, Got it. I'm curious your thoughts on um, when Dr. Fauci started with President Trump and, and COVID had just started. He had come out and said, you know, hey, we're going to really address the fact that this is a, a virus that impacts people who are obese in this country, not eating healthy, um, people of color. And then uh, at least from what I hear, you certainly are more in the know. I never hear him say any of that again. So no. why um, why are we why won't we talk about that, I guess, as a country is it just doesn't fit politically what people want? Why I don't know why we don't talk about obesity. So I think that I think that you're not allowed to talk about obesity because it's fat shaming, fat phobia. And um, and I think that it's a lot more comfortable for people to think that they are um, they are innocent in whatever health outcomes occur to them. And it's in this, it's an indiscriminate virus and it's not indiscriminate. Um, I, you know, life isn't fair. It's like, you know, something that we, te- that we don't tell our children anymore. And it's true. Um, you are at an increased risk of, uh, poor outcomes for, for a number of reasons. And one of them is pregnancy, by the way. And that's why I got vaccinated when I was pregnant. Um, and so we're, we're able to message that. I mean, I, I got plenty of, of sort of, messaging about I was at 17 times uh, the likelihood of an adverse event as a pregnant woman, not as a person. Sorry, I'm supposed to say person, not a woman. Um, but and the CDC is messaging that they they set out a, an urgent health alert. Pregnancy is uh, leads to really bad outcomes. And they're just not doing that on any other sort of medical uh, condition except pregnancy. Yeah, well, it's if you, really. If you were, oh, I'm sorry, God, sorry. No, no, no. It's just it's bizarre. It was something I thought was great when he said it. Um, but again, this was under you know this was a while ago when it first started. And so I, and I personally have been vocal. Uh, you know, I, I think Fauci's long long overdue to 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 move on. Um, mm-hmm. I think his messaging has gotten lost in 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 various interviews. I think he's clearly mixed messaging. Um, and, um, you know, too many interviews, too public. You know, he came out in defense of Kamala Harris the other day on something she said. Um, and it's that's just not, to me, his position. And, you know, I think they missed it early. I think they missed it in the summer. And I think they missed this. And, uh, you know, I just that's just my personal opinion, I think. Biden would have been much, much better served replacing Fauci with a panel or, or mm-hmm. more Scott rational Atlas. thinkers. Um, we're running out of time. If, 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 if you could set protocols right now in a county, Montgomery County, would, would you have anything? Would you have passports? Would you have just get vax, get booster, take care of yourself? and live life? What, 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 what would Bethany's policy be? I mean, I think I would, you know, this, this county is subsidizing like minimum income programs or whatever from Will, council member, Will Jawando. And, yep. and why don't they uh, do sort of fr- reduced rate gym memberships? Um, especially given, you know, the, uh, the sort of burden that they've put on gyms in this County over the last year and a half, a lot have gone out of business and they're really, really struggling, um, lift the mask mandate, uh, lift it in the schools and, um, and increase sort of healthier living 
programs. Um, I mean, those are, that's probably the things that I would be doing most, like trying to sort of push us back towards normalcy and uh, doing booster programs in, um, in the nursing homes and, and just making sure that all of those people get boosted and that the, the nursing home employees, unfortunately, you can't fire them because we won't have enough people there. And then the quality of care will just decrease and, and, and make people even more vulnerable than if they were being cared for by unvaccinated minimum wage workers. But um, there's a lot of support that we could be giving to, to nursing homes and to seniors and, um, and focusing our efforts there. But I mean, we have 95% of our over 65 population vaccinated. So I don't know how much better you can get on that front. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually can't remember the country right now off the top of my head, but I retweeted something this morning or yesterday about um i don't think it was south africa but it was only one sixteenth and they're three weeks into the wave right now Mm -hmm. the the omicron wave and only one sixteenth of all their deaths in the entire country were related to covid and of those 90 percent were over 75 year olds yeah. Yeah. So and, when you really, I mean, when you really get specific on this and you know, that's what I don't understand how we haven't managed risk specific risk, like early on I, to me, instead of masking everybody, if you're over 60 years old mask, if you want to choose to wear a mask, a real mask, wear and a that's real something mask. else. That's something else that the County could be doing is handing out to the over 65s, you know, 15, 95s, like 95 masks. Anyone who's 65 and older, we will subsidize all of your mask needs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I just have one last question for you. Are there any scientists or epidemiologists that you follow that are, um, that are, I guess, actually going by the science and, you know, Mm -hmm. who are they? So I love Monica Gandhi. She's out in San Francisco. Um, we have a local scientist um, who is fantastic, and I super recommend everyone local follow her. Her name is Marjorie Smelkinson. Um, she is an epidemiologist, and she has been extremely vocal and extremely um, uh, active in the open schools Montgomery County movement. She's a mother of four, and um, and she actually ran for for the open seat on Montgomery County School Board this year, and she and they didn't give it to her, and I think we can all figure out why. Yeah. Um, but she she's particularly fantastic. Something so we started a group called Revive Moco. You can find you can find us on Facebook. Okay. And um, we're just basically trying to organize sane members of this county. And what's really striking about all of the people who have really stepped up in in our group to um, to have conversations about unmasking in preschool settings and, and daycare settings and all these things we've and had these adult Zoom meetings. gyms with no children yeah yeah and so we have these zoom meetings and i'm just blown away by the qualifications of everyone on these zoom calls about taking masks off preschoolers because it's like i am working for uh i'm working for a a company that were, were making COVID antivirals. Like that was one person. One person was an NIH scientist working with, with COVID. Like all of these wow. people are the scientists working on this and they're working to take the masks off the yeah. two-year-olds. And I Is think Monica Gandhi, the one that wrote the time piece, I believe. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. I think, I'm I think sure. she was one of the two authors of the time, the two pieces. One said, case counts have to go away. And the other one is do not close the schools and unmask Mm -hmm. your children. Um, So it's interesting. I haven't heard, you know, in terms of unmasking students, certainly the preschoolers and the the young, I even think high schools, to me, you could choose what I, what, what 
this is, uh, I'll end on this. What drives me crazy is they feel like they have to have a mandate. Mm-hmm. Some of these parents or a lot of these parents and these officials, rather than saying, here are your options. You could, you could wear an N95. You could wear a mask in perpetuity. No one's telling you not to. Here's what we're going to do and let people make their own decisions. And it's, it's just mind boggling to me that we're at this place almost two years in. It really is. Yeah, no, it's, it's really infuriating and it's, it's no one is, no one is following common sense. No one is following science. Um, and, and, uh, the, I think the things that make me the most crazy are the, the just ridiculous focus on masks without differentiating between different kinds and also just focusing on the case counts when we're just, we're not there anymore. This is not March of 2020. Yeah. And I do agree with you a hundred percent. There was a great article about how, um, this could be the tipping point or is the tipping point for, for new policy because the blue check marks, the liberal blue check marks mm-hmm. are all getting yep. COVID now. Yep. All, all, all their masking and all their, you know, so-called being careful and all, all their policies or what they believe would prevent you from getting it. They're all getting it. They're all yep. getting, it. especially, yep. you know, media elites and so forth. Um, and, you know, I think you realize now at some, you know, 70% of us are going to get this, 80%, whatever the number is. And 99.8% of those people are going to be 100% fine. And um, so, but well, uh, and any last thoughts before we let you go? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would love if people would, if, if you're local, join our Facebook group, Revive MoCo. Um, because we're we are um, really angry and really yeah, itching we'll to make change in this in county. The, so yeah, Bethany, if you if you email me, um, yeah, we'll put it in the, the the two doctors that you recommend following and your local group. We'll put it on our on the website so uh, so people can link to it and and follow it. Awesome, thank you so much. Thanks, no, Bethany. Thanks, thanks for coming in. It was great. Appreciate yes, it. Yeah, thanks. thank you.